Well, it's a privilege again to stand before you and to bring the Word of God. In the youth retreat, we have been studying or examining, I should say, this question, is close enough good enough? Is close enough good enough? And we saw in that first message that what we mean by that is with regards to the state of our eternal soul and heaven. Is being close enough to the things of God, his word, his people, uh, religious, dare I say, rituals, is that good enough to get us to heaven? We have been reciting the popular saying, at least it was popular when I was a kid, close is only good, kids, in horseshoes and hand grenades, not heaven. A lot of people treat heaven like a game of horseshoes and hand grenades, sadly. And we saw that there's a lot of ideas about how to get to heaven, what heaven is, how to be right with God. A lot of different ways, a lot of different religions, a lot of different perspectives. Is close enough good enough? Even amongst Christians, those who, call, who profess the name of Christ call themselves Christians. Is close enough good enough to be in a church? To take the name of Christ on your lips? Profess faith? To go to a youth retreat? To have personal devotions? But is close enough good enough we are asking the question, what are those essentials that Christ puts forward to us in the word of God that we need to know, am I really a Christian? Am I a biblical Christian? And we used Luke chapter 7 as our springboard text where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And again, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so that was our springboard text that helped us to see that there is accuracy needed. And that there is urgency required to make sure that we are right with God. And that we're not playing a game of horseshoes with our never-dying soul. I'm close. I'm near it. I'm around it. I feel good about it. I'm not as bad as everyone else. Whatever that is, we can't play games with our never-dying soul. But we must make sure that we are right with God according to his infallible word. 
And so we took up that first essential, as you see in your notes there, a biblical understanding of the problem of my own personal sin. And we looked at a definition of sin, the universal problem, the personal problem, and the human problem. And we saw that we are all sinners before God and that no one has a pass. Every one of us is a sinner. But not only is everyone a sinner, that I personally am a sinner, that I have personally broken God's laws, that I have not done what he has told me to do, and I have gone beyond and broken through those boundaries, those laws that God the Creator rightly sets for me as his preacher, and I have transgressed the law of God. And we saw that it's not only deeds done, it's also thoughts. It's the intentions of the heart, and that's where Jesus is looking at us, each and every one of us. He looks into our hearts. He sees us at the heart level. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're feeling. And so, even as he said in the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's adultery or murder, it's not just the outward act, but God is looking at the heart and judging us there. And we also saw we had this reality of a sinful human nature. Where do all these wicked things come from? Is it, is it external? Is it because we live in a bad society that we're tempted to do these things and, and that's why we, we sin? But no, we saw that it was right here in my heart and in your heart. We have in us a wicked nature. Our minds are at enmity with God. We are on the opposite side of the battle line when it comes to our relationship with God by nature. So the first essential, we wanted to understand the, the, what the Bible says, what Christ himself says about this problem of our personal sin. But secondly, we saw the second essential, a biblical understanding of God's plan of salvation. And we saw that salvation is 100% God's work. From beginning to end, it is all of grace. It is all God's doing. We don't bring anything to the table, right? Not 60-40, not 90% God, 10% me. No, 100% God alone. And it's not he starts it and I finish it. No, he begins it and he completes it. It is 100% God's work. We also saw that salvation is found in one person. That is Christ Jesus alone, alone. There is no other name under heaven that is given to men to be saved. It is Jesus Christ alone. We saw that God's son coming as the perfect lamb, the sacrificial lamb for sinners. He alone is sufficient to be our savior. And we saw also that salvation is cross-centered. It's not exclusively about the cross, but the cross represents as a summary Christ's atoning work. His paying the penalty that our sins deserve. For all who believe in him, their sins are taken away. And we saw that it is because his atoning work on the cross that we can be justified, that we can be made right with God. His work alone, in Christ alone, and it is a cross-centered salvation. 
And then lastly, we saw that salvation is then offered to everyone. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus came preaching, repent and believe, right? He calls to everyone. And he says, hear, believe, turn from your sins. And so that's a bit of a review. And now we come today, we'll take the third essential in this message. And then after lunch, we have the fourth essential. So we'll look at a biblical compliance now with the terms of salvation. Before we do, we'll just take a moment to pray and ask that God would help us as we take up this study. Let's pray. Lord, we just sang of how weak and helpless and hopeless we are apart from you. Even in preaching this sermon, I can do nothing apart from you. We can do nothing. We can receive no good from this time around your word unless you, by your spirit, come and own it and bless it, cause it to bear fruit in all of our lives. Help me, Lord. Lord, I need help to be accurate. Keep me from sinning with my mouth. Keep me from leading these dear ones astray. Help me to be faithful to your word in everything that I say. We pray that you would cause your word to do a great work in the lives of all who are hearing. Lord, help them. Help them to listen. Help them to hear those things that are unto edification, to help build them up in their faith, and to help call, that you would call sinners to repentance and faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to this third essential here, a biblical compliance with God's terms for salvation. Or in other words, a real Christian is someone who has repented of their personal sin and believed in the atoning work of Jesus Christ for deliverance. Faith and repentance. Now these two terms should always be connected in your minds. I'm going to be looking at them as two separate things in my sermon, but I want you to get right at the outset this through your brain that the two things always go together. This is something that we see even in the scriptures. Um, I mentioned this already in Mark chapter 1 and verses 14 to 15. Jesus, it says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, and what was he saying? What is this summary statement of the gospel that he preached? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, that is, have faith. Repent and believe in the gospel. The same is true of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 to 21, in his uh, mini pastor's conference there with the Ephesian elders, uh, it says, and when they had come to him, uh, he, that is Paul, said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly 
and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Okay, what was it, Paul? Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith and repentance. Repentance and faith. They go together. But they don't just go together. They are inseparable. They're, in a sense, two descriptions of the same thing. They're two descriptions of someone coming to Christ. One is from the perspective of Jesus himself. We have faith in Jesus. The other is from the perspective of our sin. We repent of our sin. If I can maybe illustrate it this way. Let's say you're texting your friend about your coming to this retreat. And if you were to text him and say, hey, I, um, I just arrived. I just got to the retreat. And what if you got a text back saying, wait a second, I thought you were leaving your house. And you would say, well, yeah, I had to leave my house in order to arrive at the retreat. Right? You see that? They go together, right? You assume that you left your house in order to arrive here. Or if you said the other way, if you text him and just said, yep, I left my house. Oh, well, did you get to the retreat? Oh, yeah, I, I got there. Oh, well, what do we do? We put these things together, don't we? We do this in common speech. And that's effectively what we're doing here. We have faith and we come to Christ. Well, how, how, do, you, how do you go to Christ without leaving something behind? And that's repentance. Okay, so it's important for you to keep these together. Uh, some have said it's like two sides of the same coin. Okay, faith and repentance. They're one, but they're two sides of the same coin. In fact, they're so inseparable that there are times even in the scriptures when uh, they're referred to just by using the one. And by the one you refer, infer the other. Okay, in, in Matthew chapter 4, it says that from that time Jesus began to preach in Matthew's account and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In this account, we don't have him saying believe. He just says repent. Jesus, speaking to Martha, said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who came into the world. Okay, and he, by speaking about belief and faith, was not saying repentance was not necessary. The two go together. The apostles did this as well. At Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Again, not using the term faith there, he's saying repent. But what is inferred? Okay, you get the point? You understand, these things need to be together. We see this in the scriptures clearly. Repentance and faith. If you're a real Christian, then you have repented of your sins, and you continue to repent of them daily. If you're a real Christian, then you have believed in Jesus Christ and continue believing in him alone for your salvation. So seeing these two inseparable graces, essentially one or two different views of the same salvation, 
Let's now just take some time to investigate each one of them. I want to understand, ask the question, what is faith? And then what is repentance? Now I realize I'm taking big, huge theological themes and I'm trying to get down both of these things into one sermon. So bear with me, okay? But I, I know you guys can handle it. So we're gonna go at, at a clip here, but let's, let's try to, to, to keep up, all right? So what is faith? Well, from our catechisms, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is a saving grace. That means that it's a gift that results in salvation from sin for all who have it. It's a gift that results in salvation from sin to all who have it. And when God gives us that gift of faith, we no longer look to anything we are or anything we do or anything we have to be saved. We simply trust in him alone. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You see, faith is coming to Christ with empty hands. You got nothing. I have absolutely nothing. It's coming to God without preconditions. No preconditions. Faith is humbly and meekly trusting God to do exactly everything he has said he will do to the letter. He will do it. No matter what anyone else says, even what my heart says, even what your heart says, even what your experience might tell you. Faith says, no, I'm going with God. I'm going with what he said and not what's in my own heart. Faith enables us to believe what God has said about us in our condition as sinners, right? We saw that displayed in that first essential, that personal problem of sin. He gave us faith to believe that. Before faith, we might acknowledge our sin or maybe even feel bad about our sins, but we're not motivated to cry out to Jesus to save us from our sins unless we have faith. Faith makes us understand our condition, and it makes us see that our only hope, as we saw last night, is in Christ alone. Let's read a an account in Mark chapter 10 that I want to kind of think about with you for a little bit. Mark chapter 10, please turn there, verse 46. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. 
Mark 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, he and all of those following him, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. As he went out, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. This man is blind. He's left at the roadside to beg. He's got the very poor. And when he, that is Bartimaeus, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that is my great one, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. You see, faith gripped blind Bartimaeus on the roadside outside of Jericho when he heard that Jesus passed by. Now think about this. Clearly he had heard about Jesus. He had heard the things that Jesus had preached. And he cries out to him and calls him son of David, meaning Messiah. Right? He wasn't just calling out to some, some magic trick worker. Blind Bartimaeus knew who he was calling out to. He was calling out to the Messiah. He was calling out to the anointed one. And what does it motivate him to do? I mean, this whole procession is going by. He is blind, he is poor, he's on the side of the road begging. And if you know anything about Eastern times around here, being on the side of the road was a really dirty place to be, right? You got a lot of animals coming on these roads, right? Not a very nice place to be. There's Bartimaeus. And here's this procession coming down. And maybe he asked, or maybe he just overheard somebody talking that it was Jesus. Jesus is passing by. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And maybe, you know, he's blind. He can't see. I don't know where he is, but I'm calling out. Oh, be quiet. Come on. Stop causing a problem, right? Be quiet. You're making a kerfuffle. You're messing up the procession. We're moving forward, right? You're not on the plan. And he cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know where you are. I know you're near, crying out all the more. Hear me, Lord Jesus. Have mercy upon me. 
he wouldn't let anybody keep him from crying out. He had to have Jesus. It was a cry of faith, brethren. He believed. He believed. And you know what's interesting? I, I love this, and, and Mark has a number of these like little side comments that are so beautiful. They're, they're personal touches. Uh, it says that he threw aside his garment when they, when they called for him. Now think about that. You're a blind man. You're sitting on the side of the road. You probably don't have a lot of money. And that garment might just be your only garment. And you're blind. That was an act of faith. Take that. I'll get that later. I'll find it. Don't worry. I got to go see Jesus. Because I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to go to him and he is going to give me what I ask. That's faith, brethren. That's faith. You see it right there in vivid colors. Bartimaeus won't be stopped. Give me Jesus. Where is he? I must have him. Don't let anything get in my way. The cloak, get it out of here. I don't care. I'll get it. Where is he? Bring me to Jesus. You see, here in this dear one, Bartimaeus, faith. He was trusting, even with the little knowledge he may have had. But he knew this. Jesus is the only one who can give me what I need. He is the only one who can do for me what I so greatly and desperately need. And brethren, that's what I'm saying about right here, what I'm talking about when I say this is what faith is. It's not just a personal idea or feeling that we have about just everything working out okay in the end. Right? A lot of people talk like that. At my job, when I talk to people about their souls and, and where are they going to be when they meet God in judgment after they die, and it's like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I have faith that I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll work really hard about providing for my family and give them a good life, and I try to do good, as we talked about last night, pay it forward, right? And, and it'll all kind of work out for me in the end. Everything's going to be okay. Or it's not the faith that we talk about with regards to our teammates, right? You're on a basketball team, soccer team, and, you know, so uh, how is it that you guys won the championship? Well, you know, I really had faith in my teammates. You know, they just really came through. That's, it's trusting that they do their job, but are you putting your, your whole life in their hands? <laughs> no. Right? So it's not that kind of faith that people talk about. Or even just people talk about having a faith. As if that in and of itself is what, you know, that work, that I have a faith. In what? No, I just have a faith. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Faith is taking God at his word. It's taking everything we have in the scriptures. It's saying, whatever God says, that's gold. That's the standard. That's, that's it. It begins and it ends with him and what he says. It means, as I said, believing everything he has told us about sin, about salvation. Faith is believing that the only way that we're going to be made right with God is through the person and work of Christ. All his work, nothing that we do. Again, young people, everything we talked about last night. You take God at his word and you say, okay, yeah, I see it in the Bible. And that's it. That's enough for me. I'm good. Whatever God says. It's being like blind Bartimaeus. Just give me Jesus. Ready to throw that cloak aside? 
because it's all on him. It's all on him. Faith is believing that Jesus had to die for my sins or else I could never, never be delivered from hell. I could never enter heaven without him. It's abandoning any hope in my own way and my own thoughts and it's just holding on to Christ with a death grip. I must have Jesus. I believe everything he says. I quoted this before. I'll read it again. John chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. Jesus speaking to Martha said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks her, do you believe this? I ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Faith lays hold of the promise of God that he will do it all. Salvation is of the Lord. And simply trust him to do it. Simply trust him to do it. Now, would the world say, oh, poor you, you need to believe feel so bad for you, that you're so weak, that you need a faith, that you need to look to someone else, right? They pity us. They condescendingly talk like that to us, don't they? Like, oh man, like, I feel so bad for you that you need faith. Hmm. We got to be willing to put that all aside. It doesn't matter what people say. Like blind Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. I believe Jesus. Let God be true. Let Jesus be true. And every other man, woman, child, professor, Facebook influencer, you name it, let them be a liar. Because they are all liars if they go against the word of God. Faith says, I'm taking Jesus. Faith says, I'm going with what he said. Faith says, you know what? Even when my heart doesn't agree with the word of God, I go with Jesus. I go with the word of God. I will not let even my own deceptive heart and my own feelings take me off track. Give me Jesus. Okay, so hopefully we see something of what it means to have faith. Faith in Christ Jesus alone. It's all of him from start to finish. It's nothing about us. We are led willingly by our Savior, wherever he takes us. But what about repentance? Repentance, again, our catechisms are helpful. Repentance unto life is a saving grace where a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension or understanding of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Repentance unto life is a saving grace where a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and understanding of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Remember what we said, it's 
when we talk about repentance and faith, we're looking at the same situation of, or the same salvation from two different vantage points, right? One is we're going to Christ, right? The vantage point of where we're going to. The other one is the vantage point of where we came from, okay? And so that's why repentance is about turning, turning away. Faith in Christ, faith in the person of Christ, we go to Christ, but it's kind of simple, right? Makes sense, logically. If you're going to him, you're leaving something, and that's what repentance is teaching us here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 tells us that for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. And as it says there, In the catechism, repentance is a saving grace just like faith. As we said, they can't be separated. Whenever we have saving faith, repentance is always there. Whenever you repent, it's because you have faith. They can't be separated. So repentance is when a sinner, again, out of a true sense of their sin, and understanding of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Having a sense of sin. Now, it's, it's, I think it's very wise that those who wrote this said it's having a sense of sin and not necessarily knowing fully all your sins, because we don't. Okay, No one fully knows how bad they really are before God. We just don't even have the capacity to understand how our offenses could be so horrible to an infinite being, perfect like God is and how holy he is. We just can't even, we don't have the capacity for that. Maybe yet. Maybe we will. I don't know. But not this side of heaven. So having a sense of your sin, and young people, I think this is important because sometimes we feel like, well, I don't know if I feel like I'm bad enough yet to go to Christ, or I don't really know if I'm really sorry enough for my sins in order to believe in Christ. But see, the wisdom of the statement is just that you have to have a a sense of it. It doesn't say you have to have an 8 out of 10 sense of it, or a 9 out of 10, or a 10 out of 10. It just says, do you have a sense of it? You understand that? You get it? You're with me? I I I know it's hard to pay attention, so that's why I'm trying to gauge you. All right? Hang with me. A sense of your sin. And sometimes, even as a Christian, I mean, as I get older, I look back, and there's sins that I committed that sometimes, for some reason or another, they come back to my mind, I remember them, and I'm like, man, that was really bad. And like, I knew it was wrong then, but like, I'm really more embarrassed about it now than I ever was. Why? Because I have a greater understanding of it, Right? And that'll happen. And that's not what we're saying, is that you have to have a full understanding of everything that's wrong with you. Just do you have a sense of sin, right? A sinner out of a true sense of their sin. But they also have an understanding of the mercy of God in Christ. Just to have a sense of your sin will bury you. You start to think about the wickedness of your own heart and you think about your motives You know, even sometimes we can be in worship and we're in the midst of worship and we can find that we're sinning. I found that. And it's so it's so defiling. And immediately cry out, like, Lord, have mercy. But imagine if the Lord wasn't there for mercy. What would it do? It would crush us. 
What would we do? Where do we go? We have a sense of sin, but we need an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. That mercy that is freely offered, that grace that is completely sufficient, and that promise that is totally guaranteed that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's the mercy and the love of God. We have that, that sense of our sin, but we have we grasp also, we have an understanding of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And when you, we have that, it makes us want to turn away. Oh, this is so horrible. This is vile. There's Jesus. Let me be done with this, Lord. Forgive me. Let me turn to you and endeavor after new obedience. It's that turning away. It's that change of heart. We want to be done with our sin. David is a good example of repentance. We have this recorded in his prayer of repentance, Psalm 51. If you want to turn there, I'll just briefly uh, touch on it a little bit here as we're working through this next section. But I think it's instructive because these things are kind of bound up right in Psalm 51. So you know, King David did sin grievously, flagrantly, committed adultery with another man's wife, and then had that man killed when he found out that he got her pregnant and trying to cover over his sin. And, and God sent Nathan, the prophet, to rebuke David for his sin. And David received that rebuke, and he came clean and acknowledged his sin, and he repents in this psalm. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge, you hear the, the, the the tones of David, the sinner, having a sense of his sin, how wicked it was, how vile, how offensive it was. And you hear that, that language that, that right here, that tone in these first few verses. But notice David also has a sense of God's mercy, doesn't he? He has a sense of his own sin, but he has a sense of the mercy. He apprehends the mercy of God. And he's even bold to address him after such sins. And he says, purge me with hyssop, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He believes God, doesn't he? There's faith. He's going to God he's saying, you can do this. I know there is mercy and forgiveness with you. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. You see, David believes that God is a merciful God. And he wants to show mercy. Verse 10, David goes on to express his sincere intention to turn, to give himself to new obedience. He says, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. You see the 180 that David did? You see how he's going completely the other direction? It wasn't just enough to know that he was forgiven and cleansed. He had to be changed. He wanted to be changed. He wanted God to be honored in his life. He wanted to please the Lord because he loved the Lord. And David is an excellent example, young people, of what it means to truly repent from your sins. Take time to meditate on Psalm 51. Think about it. Think about your sins and say, Lord, do I see it like David saw it? Do I see the offense, not just to other people around me? That is, that is definitely an offense we have to deal with, but what about my offense to God? Do you see that? And do you see how, how, how odious it is, my sin and your sin before him? Do you want to be washed thoroughly from it? See, sometimes we feel bad about our sins, but you know what? Ah, I don't even know if I really want to be done with it. Maybe you like it a lot. And maybe what we want is we just want to get out of the consequences of our sin. But that's not repenting. Repenting isn't just like, man, I got caught. I feel bad for all these consequences. But if you could do the sin again without the consequences, you'd be there. You ever felt like that? I have. Wickedly in my heart. Say, whoa, this is sinful. Would I just really want to get out of sin because I don't want the consequences? What What about an offended God? What about his glory? What about the good of others? You see, I want to be washed. I want to be done with this. I want to be purged of my sin. You really want it gone, not just tucked away for a convenient time when you won't get caught. You want to be done with it. You don't just want to be able to go to that browser history and hit delete and hope that nobody knows. You want to be done with it. You want to have nothing else to do with it. You see, a lot of people want hell insurance. You know what hell insurance is? In their minds, they just want to know that they're not going to go to hell. They don't necessarily care how it happens. They just don't want to go there. Right? They just don't want to change who they are, what they are doing. They don't want to change the things they like or dislike. But they don't, they don't want to go to hell. And so there's, there's a sense of sin and, and maybe even sorrow and, and maybe even coming to church. But here's the deal. Real repentance has to do with you wanting to be completely done with your sin. Yeah, but you know, I'm probably going to fall again. Okay. I'm not saying you won't fall again. But in this moment, are you ready to say, Lord, I want to be done with it? In the internet history of your life, 
if we were to scroll through it right now, you want to be done with it or you want to tuck it away? Your sins, your personal sins, the ones that you do when no one else is watching, well, you know God in heaven sees. The things that you think of, even in your own heart, you're like, man, how is it that I can get, here's one for me, how is it that I can get so angry at my own kids whom I love? How come I can get so frustrated with them sometimes? Well, but you know that you know what they do to me. You know how they how you know how. Uh, as parents, we can do that, right? You want to make excuses for why I should get angry at my kids. That's sin. Are we going to be done with it, or do we say, "Yeah, but you don't know"? Let me just put a little, you know, let, let's put that to the side. That's in a different category, because I was provoked. No, it's sin. I need to I need to hate it. I need to see it for what it is. I need to ask forgiveness. I want to be cleansed of it. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, but you're probably going to fall again, Dad. Maybe you're right. But right now, Lord, help me not to. By God's grace, no, I do not want to do that. Is that how you're going to deal with your sins? That's repenting. You see, unless you're truly repentant, unless you truly hate your sins and want to be washed thoroughly from them, you will have no salvation. If you're trying to hold on to something on the side, right? If you're trying to take a little sin and say, let's just let's tuck that way for later. Okay, yeah, Lord, I'll get, I'll get rid of all this, but not this little bit over here. It's kind of like Israel after Jericho, right? There's an Achan in the camp. Don't come to me pleading. Go deal with your sin. Right? That's what God told Moses. We need the kind of repentance we see in 2 Corinthians 7. Let's turn there. All right? Thank you for hanging in there with me. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 7. We'll read verses 9 to 11. Here's a great example. If you want to see a picture of repentance, we saw David in Psalm 51. Here's a great picture in the New Testament. Paul, having had to rebuke the Corinthians and deal with them and their sins in this first letter, now in his second letter, he writes to them and says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, Paul, in his previous letter, he had to say some pretty stern things to the Corinthians about their sin. And it made them sorry. It made them sorrowful. But that wasn't his purpose. It was just to make them feel bad. He's like, oh, I'm glad you were sorry, but that wasn't the goal. I'm glad that your sorrow led to repentance, okay? Because there's hope in repentance. Sorrow in and of itself leads to death. That's a worldly sorrow. Sadly, many people deal with that because they don't know of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're buried and crushed by their sins, and they think there's no hope. 
But we don't have that in Christianity. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope. And what happens here, he says in verse 11, for observe this repentance that the Corinthians had, this sorrow that led to repentance, a godly sorrow. What did it look like? For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. The Corinthians were saying, whoa, you're right, Paul. We sinned. This is horrible. But there's mercy found in Jesus. And they said, we're going to be done with this. And it says they went to the nth degree. They went to the fullest to make sure, hey, we sinned. Let's make sure this is cleared up over here. And if we sinned, did I sin against you, brother, when I said that? I'm very sorry. They went around and they made sure that they had cleared the deck they didn't hold back. They didn't do what some people commonly do when you get caught, right? You do damage control. Okay, uh, well, let me see. Uh, hopefully I don't have to ask so-and-so. And, you know, you know, we try to, like, circle the wagons. Hopefully, you know, I, I don't, nobody has to really know this who doesn't have to know. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you don't, you don't want to, like, go broadcasting your sin. But here's the point. Are you willing to deal with it even if it means being shamed? Sometimes yeah, it involves shame. You have to go to someone. And say, you know, when I said this to you, it was unkind, it was unloving. I was really proud and arrogant in my heart. I shouldn't have said that. It was probably very hurtful for you. Will you please forgive me? Yes, there's shame in that. But it's the right thing to do. And the Corinthians did that. They were willing to do whatever it took. They didn't hold back. You see, they got serious. They weren't playing horseshoes and hand grenades. Close enough wasn't good enough. They were going to deal biblically with their sins. They repented. What about you? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? You can't have faith without repentance. And you can't have repentance without faith. Are you a Christian? Is this true of you? Have you seen the beauty of Jesus? Have you seen God's love for sinners who are on their way to hell at breakneck speed, who comes and calls and says, Come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you trusting in Jesus like Bartimaeus? Son of David, have mercy on me. What about your cloak? I don't care. Give me Jesus. Yeah, but what about your friends? Give me the Lord. What about those sins you enjoy? I got to leave them. Yeah, but you know what people will think of me? Let them think it. Give me Jesus. But that means I'll have to give up. Yes, I will, and I gladly relinquish all of it for the sake of having Christ Jesus. Young people, will you stand up and believe in Jesus? Will you take your stand with him? Will you say with Bartimaeus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Give him to me. Will you jump up and follow him? Will you lay hold of him? 
Not enough to know that he's there passing by. Oh yeah, there he goes. I know who he is. He's son of David. No, no, no. Do you believe in him? Do you have faith? Are you willing to say, Lord, your book is going to rule my life? That's faith, isn't it? Even though it's ridiculed constantly, made fun of by our media, by our education system, by our government, by your friends, is this going to be what rules your life? Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in his word? And have you repented? See, I have faith. I have faith. I'm all good. This repentance stuff, Pastor, that, no, I, I don't know. I, I believe we've seen it in the scriptures. You've got to come to terms. This is an essential. Okay, you can't have one without the other. Have you repented? Are you willing to be done? Do you want to be done? Do you see how wicked it is? And do you behold the mercy of God in Christ? And say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to run in the way of obedience. What we need today, as bad as that news that we heard about the Middle East, remember how we talked about because we understand sin, we understand what are the real needs are in our world? It would be wonderful if they would all stop shooting at each other and have peace. I would love that. But what good is that if every one of those people ends up in hell? To have a little peace on earth for a little while? Let's get serious, right? Is that good enough to enjoy some years of peace between Israel and Palestine? So we can all feel good? But then people are going to die. What, what then? What then when you stand before God in judgment? To say, yeah, you know, but we had a good run on earth. No sinner, the first second they enter hell. Now listen to me, this is serious. No sinner, the first second they enter hell says, oh yeah, I know it's bad, but you know what? I had a good run on earth. I really enjoyed some things. Nobody's going to hell saying, ah, it was worth it, you know? No. There is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The judgment of God is upon you. My dear ones, your precious soul is at stake. You must repent and believe. You must do this. There is no other way. Jesus came preaching repentance and faith. He said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Close doesn't count. You might put me off in what I'm preaching to you. You are putting Christ off, though. You're going to put him aside and say, no, no. Maybe later. You know, I know, I know you sacrificed your son, God, but maybe later I'll consider him. I mean, is that not just so disrespectful to God? And when he calls you and he says, believe, when he says, repent, and you sit there and just say, hmm, I wonder if we're going to play volleyball later. I hope you enjoy volleyball. 
but not more than dealing with your never-dying soul, young people. Do you see how critical it is? Your soul is in the balance. Your precious, never-dying soul, you have this gift. That's who God has made you to be. Are you going to let it go for a few hours of fun, a few years of fun, for as long as you might have capacity to enjoy it on earth? With Bartimaeus, Jesus passed by. Bartimaeus called in those wonderful words, Jesus stood still and called for him. In a sense, Jesus is passing by this morning and he calls to you. And he says, will you believe? Will you repent? If you let him pass, are you guaranteed that he will call again? You're not. Today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for sinners displayed and your son. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for delivering him up for us all. That whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him, whoever repents from their sins and believes in him shall not perish, but will indeed have everlasting life. Oh, Father, please come by your spirit and work salvation here this morning. We pray that none would sit, as it were, and let Jesus pass by. But Father, may they cry out, like Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. May salvation come to this church, this, this group, as we sit here, come to this conference, to these dear young people this morning. We ask in Christ's most precious name, amen.